Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, where we interview Matt Kepnes and talk about travel hacking and living a nomadic lifestyle. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me as always is my sedentary co-host, Scott Church. Ouch, Mindy with the hostile introduction today. Sedentary in that you have a baby, and traveling with a baby is not as much fun as not traveling with a baby. She won't be a baby forever. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world or not wait until you retire early and travel the world anyways, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams. Scott, I am super excited to be here and I am super excited about our new segment which is called the money moment. This is where we share a money hack, tip or trick to help you on your money journey. Today's money moment is get rid of your cable package. I know many companies try to use this as a bundle your internet to make it cheaper, but many streaming services actually cost less and have live TV built in. Crunch the numbers and see if you come out ahead by separating out your services. Do you have a money moment for us? Email moneymoment at biggerpockets.com. All right, Scott, today's show, we're talking about travel and travel hacking. And I have a personal question for you. Where is the most favorite place you've ever been? I'll give you three quick ones. One um, is Maui. As I mentioned on there, We, uh, if you go between January and March, the whales breed from the Arctic. They come down there to, to breed. And it's pretty amazing to see a whale jumping every couple of seconds, basically, um, off the coastline. It's a wonderful experience. Ireland was absolutely fantastic. There's a lot of just really fun culture and uh, stuff going on there. I really love the Irish sports as well, like the Gaelic football and hurling. And it's kind of just kind of unique experience and beautiful country. Um, and then the last one I'll say is when I was graduated college, I did a Euro trip similar to Matt, a shortened version of what Matt kind of, uh, uh, is really known for our guest today. And that was a unique lifetime experience. That sounds awesome. And yeah, I've been to Hawaii in January. Um, I got my anniversary is in January. So I've been to Hawaii several times in January. And yeah, you just sit there on the beach and all of a sudden you're like, oh, look a whale, oh, look a whale, oh, look a whale. It's They're just jumping all the time. It's a really cool experience. But what's your favorite place? My favorite place that I've ever traveled was Greece. I went there in, I think, 2018. And it was incredibly inexpensive. For some reason, I thought a place that beautiful was going to be super expensive. Like Hawaii can be super expensive, but it's also so amazingly beautiful that you kind of get over the fact that it's so expensive. Um, Greece was overwhelmingly beautiful. And then you're like, wait, how much is it? That's it? It's not more? And the whole time I was there, I was shocked at how beautiful it was and how inexpensive it was all at the same time. Um, the architecture, it's like, this sounds so stupid to say, but it was, it's like, it's so old that everything is so, you know, it's, it's, Europe is just different than America. America is like 200 years old and Europe's like 2 million years old or whatever. So everything's just different. And I, I love looking at all of that architecture and stuff. Kind of a real estate nerd, Scott. I don't know if you know that. You really enjoy those uh, Spartan lifestyle travels. <laughs> When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, 
we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The easiest way to collect rent? RentApp. RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Matt Kepnes runs the award-winning travel site nomadicmat.com, which helps people travel the world on a budget. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, How to Travel the World on $50 a Day, and the travel memoir, 10 Years a Nomad. His writings and advice have been featured in the New York Times, CNN, The Guardian, Budget Travel, BBC, Time, and countless other publications. Matt Kepnes, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with a little bit about your background and how you started nomadicmat.com. Uh, well, you know, I was, I just come back from 18 months traveling the world. Uh, I was 26, 27 at the time, somewhere like that, uh, 2008. Uh, and I was working a temp job in healthcare. I was basically uh, the assistant had gone on maternity leave and I was just there to fill space and redirect phone calls and not break anything. So uh, it was very clear I was to do no work. Um, and so I had a lot of free time on my hands and just really wanted to get back on the road. So I created the website as a way to sort of be an online resume, you know, like come hire me. Here's where I've been featured online. Here's my bylines. Uh, there's a blog component because I've been blogging before. So I want, you know, show people I could write. Um, really just designed as like personal blog slash online resume website. You know, everyone has a website, right? Um, really, that was it. No bigger vision than that. And what were you hoping they would hire you for? I wanted to do like freelance writing, uh, write guidebooks, that whole jam. Uh, so work for Lonely Planet, Fromers, you know, all the big companies or maybe, you know, CNN travel, you know, freelance right somewhere. Um, so yeah, I started, you know, pitching myself, I've worked at a lot of online publications, you know, 50 bucks, a hundred bucks, uh, back then, um, just trying to build my chops, went to conferences and then just kept blogging on the side. Uh, but 
you know, I had the the fortune to be there at the right time. You know, 2008 blogging was started to take off. Uh, there wasn't a lot of travel blogs. You know, you had well, make money online blogs. You had finance blogs. You had you know blog her lots of fashion. Um, mo- the mommy blogging craze. You know, so there was like you know a lot of things going on at that time. And so I went to all these networking events, you know, and that kind of helped because, you know, I was there at the right time. And so by 2010, 2011, uh, the blog had taken off enough where I could just work on it full time. feels like YouTube and TikTok today as the corollary, right? Like that blogging was like the, was like that environment is for a lot of these uh, folks that are creating content in that space. Yeah, I would say it's a little different. Like back then, like now it's so accepted, you know, like kids are like, I want to be a TikTok star, right? You know, back then, if I was like, I want to be a blogger, people are like, what the hell is a blogger? Back, back then, when you got started, where did you find the opportunities for cost-effective travel and, and you know, this nomadic lifestyle in the first place? Were, were there more of them? Was it different than it is today? I mean, I was a backpacker. So I was just staying in hostels and doing all the backpacker things, the cheap travel, you know, um, inexpensive meals, dorm rooms, uh, local buses. I mean, just backpacking around. Um, so that's how I kept my costs down. You know, back then you'd make money either through Google ads, um, uh, or selling links. You know, you, you'd come in and be like, Hey, if you put my link in the sidebar for 500 bucks, I'll give you 500 bucks. And you say, okay. You know, because Google was so unsophisticated back then that you could basically spam websites with links and still rank high. So that's what, you know, between those two and just selling like ebooks on travel, I was making like five to $8,000 a month. Uh, I mean, I had a plethora of websites. So that was enough to keep me traveling while also reinvesting in the website and hiring, you know, designers and stuff. So how do you get started? in travel hacking. I think there's this idea that people want to do it, but they don't know where to start. I mean, I you got to get a credit card. I mean, that's what the simple thing is. You know, the credit card is the vehicle that sort of washes your spending. You want to look at it that way, right? Like you spend money and you turn it into points um, on your on your credit card. Um, you know, and you have to pay your bill off every month. Travel credit cards come with a much higher interest rate than your average credit card, right? So if you're not paying your bill off every month, the points you're gaining, you're just losing to interest. And so you definitely have to be able to pay your bill off completely, um, but you need a credit card. Like Without a credit card, there's no way to travel hack. What are some of the best apps and websites that you recommend travelers look to snag a good deal? Well, it depends. Uh, You know, Deals are forever changing. For example, for flights, there's never one good website. There's never actually one good website for anything because a, a good deal on one website is a bad deal a month from now. But some places I really love for flights, it's called Skyscanner. Um, Scott's Chief Flights, which is now called Going, uh, has a great email where they send out like last minute flight deals uh, or just fair mistakes. So like, you know, there might be a cheap fare to Japan in uh, August for 
200 bucks, you know? And so that's a great website for flights. Skyscanner is another good website for flights. Uh, for hotels, Google is actually really good because if you type into Google hotels and whatever, they'll show you uh, hotels, let's say in New York City and whatever date, date you want. And they pull in all the data from all the booking websites. And so you can see which one's offering the cheapest rate that day and just book there rather than go to booking.com and then hotels.com and then Trivago. And yeah, you, know, you just, you just have it all in one place. That said, generally speaking, I find better deals at on booking.com. Uh, and then when you're in Asia, Agoda it just has better inventory, A G O D A. Um, for activities, uh, that is a very, um, fractured, uh, booking environment uh but get your guide is pretty good in terms of just seeing a lot of activities around the world um they're basically like an expedia they're a reseller so it's not as cheap as just booking direct but it basically puts it all in one place for you so matt i'm i'm uh trying to recreate this awesome lifestyle that you have blogged about and lived for the last, you know, many years. And, uh, just, it just seems like an exciting, awesome way to spend years or a, a decade of my life. How, where do I start? What is like the first thing I should be doing? What's a practical kind of set of how to's to get going down this path to beginning my nomadic series of adventures? Yeah. I think the first thing I always tell people to do is to really just get a handle on your spending and savings. Most people really don't know what's going in and what's going out. So when they sit down to say, okay, I want to take six months off. I want to take a year off. Or maybe they just want to take a month off, whatever. Um, they, you know, they say, oh, I can't travel. I'm just, I, I can't save. You know, I, the bills are too much. And I always ask them, it's like, okay, well, where does the money go? Right. And most people don't, re they'll be like, well, you know, I have, the mortgage, I have this bill, that bill. But then it's like, okay, but what do you spend every day? Because there's really two like costs you have in your life. You have your fixed costs, like your your mortgage and you know, your car insurance or uh, health insurance, whatever those costs are. And then you have all the fun costs, going to the movies, stopping to get a drink with a friend, even buying a bottle of water you know, on the street because you're thirsty. So I always tell people to track their spending for a month because you'll always, you'll always be surprised that, you know, I mean, buying a movie on Amazon, you don't really think about that as an expense. But if you're trying to save for a long-term trip, every dollar is going to count. So for me, my advice is always start with getting a handle on your finances where everything's coming in and going out because so that you can see, okay, what, what could I really cut? What is uh, absolute, I can't cut it. And then what is the discretionary, you know, money. And then once you do that, you can kind of start seeing these phantom expenses, such as the things you're, the things you're never thinking of. That movie you rented from Amazon, the bottle of water you bought on the way home because you were thirsty. All those little things, they do add up, but they're subconscious spending, not they're unconscious spending that we're not really thinking of. So tip number one is always get a handle on your finances. Awesome. And what 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 is the kind of you know what what if I have a handle on my finances, 
um, what should I be expecting? Like that, that's my history. That's my current situation. Maybe I work a job in here in Denver, Colorado, have a house, rent, all that kind of stuff. When I am on this nomadic journey, what should I be expecting from an expense load? Yeah. So then you have my book, uh, how to travel the world on $50 a day, um, pre COVID. So I maybe let's call it 70 post inflation. Right. Uh, but the idea here is just about traveling like you live, right? Day to day, you don't spend ideally a ton of money, right? You know, you go to work, you spend stuff on food, you take the bus, the train, um, you go grocery shopping, right? You're not out all the time just like eating out, like taking Ubers, right? You're not just like blowing through money the way people tend to think about vacation, right? When you go on vacation, it's all about just like, I am just going out, right? Like I am fancy dinners and tours and nice hotels. But when you're traveling, you must kind of keep those costs lower. So you can't always stay in five-star hotels. You can't go for expensive meals all the time. You can't take tours and taxis and Ubers, stay in resorts. You kind of have to travel like you live, going to the grocery store, taking the bus, you know, staying at cheaper guest houses, looking up free activities, uh, you know, free attractions, just kind of being a little more conscious of your spending. And so after you sort of figured out, okay, like if I really cut my spending, you know, I could save maximum $3,000 a month, right? Okay, so from that number, you can then work from, I want to go away for a year. Um, it's going to cost me, you know, $25,000 to do this year-long trip. Uh, and so then you just kind of work back as to how much money you need, how many months it will take you to spend. And what's great about living in this day and age is when I went to traveling back in, started in 2006, I started planning in 2004. Um, so I saved for a couple of years to do this. But back then, there was no information online. How much did things cost? Everything was a rough estimate, right? I mean, I had to cut my trip short in Australia because when I planned my trip, it was one USD got you $1.30 Australian. By the time I got there, it was one-to-one, which meant my purchasing power was down 30%. And so like it's totally screwed up my entire budget. Uh, whereas nowadays, I mean, you can't do much about exchange rates and all. Um, who knows what the exchange is going to be in a year. But I had based that money... I needed for Australia just on a rough estimate of what little I could find in a guidebook that was written two years ago. Whereas today, there's so much information online, you know, pretty accurately how much that trip is going to cost you. So it's very easy to work from where you are now to where you need to be. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. 
Pretty good episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters. Landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with a digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? Rent app, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. So I want to rewind a minute. You just said you're not going to be spending when you're traveling like you're spending when you're on vacation. And I don't know if this is like, uh, well, of course, no kidding, comment in the traveling and the travel hacking space. But that was really kind of eye-opening for me when you said that. I was like, oh, yeah, you're not on vacation for six months. You're just living in a different location for six months. I think that's really important to highlight. I love that comment. Yeah, you you are. You have to make this a very limited amount of money last, right? And so when you know you're just you're going away for two weeks and it's your only vacation for six months and you're going to have money coming in, you're more likely to spend it. But when there is no job, um, if, you, if you quit your job to travel, um, you are making different financial decisions because that money has to last, right? If you run out of money, you, you have to come home. Um, and so what you're going to do overseas is going to be really different. And how does geographic arbitrage affect your traveling decisions and your your financial decisions? Like, 
Uh, let me see. I want to ask you like 17 questions all in one question. But if you're traveling and using your Australia uh, example, you were in Australia and then the, the exchange rate changed. Do you make long-term plans? Oh, I'm going to go here and here and here and here and here. Or do you make shorter term plans and then just pivot based on what's going on in the world? When everyone plans a trip, they create long-term plans. They were like, I'm going to do this and that and this and that and that, this and that. The longer you go away, the more you end up just throwing your plans away. I mean, my entire original route was very different than what it ended up to be. You know, I ended up living in Thailand for about seven months. Um, that was not part of my plan. I originally planned to go to Australia and Fiji. I ended up skipping them and going home. Um, I changed my route in Australia, changed my route in Europe. The longer you're away, the less you start thinking about a month or two months from now, the more you just start thinking about a week or two from now. And so once you start shrinking that planning, you're a little bit more versatile if things cost shift or you overspend somewhere, you have to make it up. So look, let's say you went to Europe and you just kind of blew through your budget. So maybe you'll stay now longer in Southeast Asia before you go somewhere else to sort of stay in the cheaper countries just to make that difference up. Sounds like planning is everything, but plans are useless when you're traveling, when you're uh, living this nomadic life. You plan for two years, but then you throw it out the the window and you're pretty opportunistic about it um, as things come up and reactive to the, the, the way things change. So how, how does, you know, is that right? Is that how someone becomes more efficient economically while they're traveling here? Is it is it about planning to go to these cheaper places or are there strategies? Is there is there a fundamental set of principles that you're applying on this journey to make the absolute most out of the experience as economically as possible? Right, yeah. Um, I tell people to basically just keep a, a, a daily log of their expenses. Um, the people that go home early don't keep track of their money, you know, and they don't know themselves too. You know, if you are going to Australia and it's been your dream to do all these activities, go bungee jumping, dive the Great Barrier Reef and do wine tours and et cetera, et cetera. And you get there and you just spend all this money and you're like, oh, I ran out of money. I didn't really budget for as many activities. Well, that's where people go wrong because they should have over budgeted, not under budgeted. You know, you go online and it says, oh, you'll spend an average of whatever. So you write down that average in your budget, never realizing, well, you're not going to be the average. You're, you want more than that because you, it's your bucket list thing. Um, and secondly, people just don't write down what they're spending. So again, going back to that thing before you go, knowing your expenses is how you can really manage this, uh, pot of gold that you have, right? And so if you're just going out and you're just spending money, uh, buy your hostels, you buy your drinks, whatever, and you might be doing it on the cheap, but are you doing it within a budget? And I, so I love it when I'm in hostels and I see people, you know, with receipts, you know, keeping track of their expenses because those are the people who are going to make it to the end. It's the people who are just like blowing through their money left and right, partying, doing activities that are always the ones that go home first. Yeah, that seems true in uh, most scenarios. What are some of the best countries to stay in 
that'll help you stay in your budget. Yeah, well, Southeast Asia is a great affordable region of the world. East Eastern Europe, uh, Central America, Taiwan, South Korea is is really affordable. Um, South Africa is actually like really affordable too, as long as you know you're doing a ton of safaris. Um, so there's a lot of regions around the world that are are very much affordable, cheap destinations. You know, for the for the tourists on the U.S. dollar, uh, and you know, so you have this pick of your litter, so to speak. You know, um, and right now the U.S. dollar is pretty strong. So like, even if you were to go to Japan, you know, it's way more affordable than it used to be because you're getting 140 yen to the dollar. So like it's, it's very, it's very good. It's trade. And so, you know, what are, what am I looking for? You know, when I'm traveling here, am I looking for hostels? Am I looking for Airbnbs? Am I looking for hotels? Is it a similar opportunistic kind of plan or are there different regions where you're looking for different types of accommodations? Cause you know, that's the, the affordable and great experience. So hostels are, are really the key to a lot of affordable travel. Uh, Airbnb rooms is also great because you get to stay with a, uh, somebody in their guest room. So it's more affordable than just getting your own place uh, completely. You know, and, and it really depends on where you are in the world. You can do homestays, you can do um, couch surfing, which is staying with locals. There's a lot of similar services. Um, there's one for bikers called warm showers. Um, there's, there's a thing called camp space. So if you're you have a bunch of camping gear. You can set it up in people's yards. Um, in Europe, you can stay in monasteries. Um, in you know, Australia, New Zealand, there's a lot of farm stays. And so it, it's very unique to different parts of the world. So that's one great thing about the information overload age we live in right now is there's, you can find that information pretty easily online. I, I don't know what you look like in real life, Matt, but I know what Scott looks like in real life. He's a pretty big guy and he played rugby for a lot of years. If somebody wanted to take him on, they'd get a good fight. I'm not that big. And I have always felt like staying in a hostel would be a little bit scary because you're just in a big room with a bunch of other people, gender unspecific, right? There's not like women's rooms and men's rooms. It's just like one big room and whoever's sleeping there is sleeping there. So how do you keep yourself safe in a situation like this? Hostels are relatively safe. Uh, I am only 5'7". Uh, I never played rugby. <laughs> um, you know, you're, hostels are just young travelers looking to have fun. You know, that's not to say nothing bad ever happens. Alcohol gets involved. You know, uh, egos get involved. You know, I mean, I've met creepy people in hostels. Um, meet creepy people in real life. Uh but generally, hostels are very safe because there's always people awake coming and going. Most of the issues I have, I've heard about or seen, really revolve around you know somebody like stealing something, you know, grabbing something. Somebody leaves a computer, their phone out. Somebody grabs a phone on their way out, and so um, that's why hostels have lockers. And, you know, let's bring your own lock kind of thing. Um, cause you do have, you know, you're in a huge room and okay. Yeah, 30 strangers who's to say one doesn't like stealing stuff. Um, but that said, like physical violence is a 
real rarity in the hostel scene. There's also the guy that will uh, exchange your $100 of American currency for worthless Belarusian currency when you're visiting the Czech Republic. One of those people. So maybe there is a difference here in terms of how you feel about it as a a man or or particularly, you know, me being a a larger than average man, for example, in staying in these locations that we, we should acknowledge to some degree in terms of some comfort, even though, to your point, there's a lot of safety. But I also want to piggyback on this and ask pointedly, is this a young person's game here? Like are in these hostels, you talked about young people having a good time. Is this something that I'm going to have a lot? I'm gonna, am I going to have to adopt a different strategy if I'm in my 30s or 40s and wanting to to do this either alone or, or with a partner um, than somebody who's in their early 20s in a practical sense? You see people of all ages in hostels. I mean, grant, you know, granted, when you're 42, you don't really want to sleep in a dorm. Uh, so you don't see as many older people sleeping in dorms. But that hostel experience is good for all ages. I mean, I've seen seven-year-olds in hostels. And when you ask why, they're just like, because it's fun. You know, you get to meet other travelers. You know, you stay in a hotel, interact with nobody, right? Um, and, you know, and then there are, are hostels that are clearly party hostels. And then there's family hostels and ones that cater to school trips and, you know, older travelers and more boutique hostels. So... It really runs the gamut these days. You know, people think of hostels, especially in the States. Um, younger people less so because there's more exposure to newer hostels. But, you know, older millennials. Plus, we think of hostels like you see on the movies. You know, these like danky, you know, 100 uh, gross beds in a dorm and everyone's loud and it's just gross and nothing's clean and that really doesn't exist that much anymore um, because hostels have really improved themselves in the last 10 years as the younger clientele has become more demanding uh, and, and has just better expectations of amenities. Um, but you can really find hostels that for all ages and all travel types, you know, if you just don't want to stay in a party hostel, most hostels label themselves as party hostels these days. Okay, so let's uh, switch gears here and talk about activities to do when you're traveling. You mentioned that uh, you should always be on the lookout for inexpensive or free activities. What are some of the things you've done while you're traveling that you can't get in America? I think you get everything in America, but I will say that, you know, free walking tours every major city in the world has a free walking tour and that's a great way to get your bearings on where you are and the history of the place and kind of be like, okay, this is where this thing is and that thing is. And actually talk to somebody who lives there and be like, okay, what do you do for fun? Where should I go for fun? Where do you eat? You know, what's a non-touristy place to go something a little bit more unique. Um, So I love free walking tours. I love going into the local tourism board and asking them basically what's cool to do that's inexpensive because the people that work there, they've lived there their whole life, right? So, or at least a long time. And so they're going to know, oh, you got, if you really want to, you know, cheap produce, like this store is where to go. If you, 
you know, want free activities, like go to this park, there's always like some festival or weekend activity going on. You know, th this museum is free on Thursdays. Uh, you can do free comedy and X, Y, Z. And so tourism boards, I think, are really underutilized um, source of information because you have, you know, if travel is replicating your day-to-day -day life in terms of cost, these are people who live in this place and are doing the same, doing that, right? Um, you know, they know like, oh, if you want like pre-made meals, go to this grocery store after eight, 50% off. This same thing like, you know, the budget hacks of the place you live because you live there. They have the same kind of tips. When I was, so I, again, I, I, I never traveled like you, Matt. Um, I, I did, you know, six, eight weeks in Europe with two of my buddies after college and did a lot of the things you're talking about here. But what we did was we, we flew a lot of places. We didn't take the buses and trains. We stayed in hostels, of course, and, uh, you know, partied and sightseed sightsaw every single day, um, for a while. And by the end of it, I was ready to go home. I, I kind of out of money, but mostly, I was burned out of traveling. I was exhausted. Uh, you know, there was just, it was just way too much, um, from a, a sustainability point of view. Um, how do you recommend folks that are looking for this traveling lifestyle? Like, how did you sustain it for a long period of time, not just financially, but mentally and avoid burnout? You know, I just gave a talk on burnout recently. Um, everyone burns out. Um, you think, uh, this life as like nonstop adventure, right? You're going to do all these great things, but you never see the, the missing the bus, the waiting for the delayed train, the stuck in the airport, the, the guy that screws you over for money, uh, having to find an ATM, you know, packing up, unpacking, meet, meeting new friends. Like every day you're reinventing your life. You know, like you go, you go through life with mental shortcuts. Otherwise, it's impossible to like go through life, right? It's like, why do you always buy the same things? Because you don't want to think about it, right? It's Steve Jobs famously wore the same outfit every day. So we didn't have to make that one decision because every decision you make is just mentally taxing. Kind of like why when you're driving, right? You can just kind of half your brain is driving and the other half isn't because you've created all these mental shortcuts. So you know, like if you're, driving on the same road every day. Um, you don't really need to think about it, right? You just, your body goes on autopilot. But there's no autopilot on the road because everywhere you go is new. So you have to figure out every day, okay, how do I get from point A to point B? How do I navigate this metro system? How do I know if this person is trying to screw me over on a Belarusian currency? Uh, how... How do I make friends? How do I know this restaurant isn't going to give me food poisoning? Um, and so eventually your mind just kind of is like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I always just tell people, stop, take a break, stay in one place for a little bit, get to know it and recharge your batteries. Just sit around and watch Netflix for a week. Who cares? Right? Like, you know, you have all the time in the world. Right. You have a limited amount of money and a lot of time. So, you know, so just wait it out. Travel is a battery that needs to be recharged. That's what I always tell people. Right. It's not this unlimited wellspring of energy. Uh, you know, you eventually will get 
burnt out and tired and you'll just be like, I don't want to see another temple. I don't want to go to another church. I don't want to see another art museum. Like, I just want to like stay in one place and like do laundry, you know, and just like build, you know, so like just stay in one place for a couple of weeks. Um, you know, and, and everyone I know who travels really long term, the longer they're on the road, the more time they spend in one destination before they move on. Because they just don't want to pack and unpack their bag every other day. It's just tiring. Um, and so, yeah, just stop. I always tell people, just stop. Say, if you like where you are, just stay there for a week, maybe two weeks, you know? You can always move on. You can always go back somewhere else. Like, you know, if you keep, if you try to push through, you're just going to hate every, everywhere. And you're just going to increase your burnout. And then you're just going to go home, which is what I did when I first went away. And then you're going to be like, why the hell did I come home? I should have just stayed in one place, recharged my battery and kept going. Because then you're home and you're like, this kind of not where I want to be. Well, Matt, um, thank you so much for sharing all these wonderful tips. It's just an awesome to get a viewpoint into your life with the thousands of nights that you've sp- stayed in, in these hostels, the probably countless incredible memories that you've created here and um, really, really awesome lifestyle for folks to explore here. And it doesn't sound like it's going to break the bank. This is something that um, if you want to work for it and prioritize m- is within the reach of most people, probably in their twenties um, m- most likely, but for everyone really um, to go and explore and, and, and maybe, maybe choose to do for a couple months or a couple of years, potentially. Yeah. I mean, uh, as long as you can save for it, you know, even it took me three years to save for my trip, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't, there's no time on it. It takes you five years, you know, there you go. Get something to look forward to. Um, a lot of people go, oh, I can't afford to travel. Okay. Well, you can't afford to travel now, but I will a little bit of money every day will eventually add up to enough. Awesome, Matt. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. That was Matt Kepnes. That was a fun look at nomadic travel and also a really interesting look at some travel hacking. Scott, what did you think? I think it's just awesome to meet folks like Matt that have just a completely different way of going about life and completely different set of life experiences. I mean, good for him. He's He created an incredible lifestyle made countless memories and different and different types of things really kind of mastered this um i think uh aspiration that a lot of folks have for for traveling and seeing seeing the world and made a profession out of it and it's helped a lot of people i think recreate it and it's it's not an out of reach goal there is a trade off right you're not going to be able to do certain types of careers if you're if you're pursuing this you're not going to be able to make certain types of investments as easily um but you know Again, we've read that book, Die With Zero. Um, the memories you make from a trip like this for a year or two, um, there's something potentially to retire on right there. I got a couple of really interesting tips from him. First was the uh, credit cards coming, the travel cards having higher interest rates. And if you don't pay off your balance every month, it's really not worth it to do the credit card travel hacking points thing. I do pay off my credit cards every month, but I didn't realize that they came with higher interest rates. I think that's a really important takeaway. Um, And also the comment about vacation versus traveling. You're not on vacation. You're just living in a different place. So you're not doing all of these extravagant things. And I think that that can help reframe 
how much this is going to cost you to do. Um, and there are less expensive places to be. Greece, I could go live in Greece for way less than I'm living right now. My friend Linda lives in Portugal and she lives there for far less than she could if she lived in America. There's lots of places that you can live for less. I mean, you might even be able to be fi now if you lived in a lower cost of living area. And then if you live in Portugal, you just zip on over to Spain for the weekend or you zip on over to France for the weekend and have a, a slightly more expensive weekend while still completely living in a totally inexpensive place and having the time of your life. Everybody should be Linda. Yeah. You, you know, it's kind of funny that like I, 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 you know, we just talked about these awesome world travels and I would love to see more of the world and I will, I plan to with it. But, you know, often when I go on these travels, like, or think about these trips, you know, even, even my awesome Ireland trip, right. Uh, uh, a couple of years ago, right before COVID, you know, I, I come back and I'm like, Oh, like the mountains here in Colorado, pretty, pretty good. They're right there. The, the weather, the weather is pretty good here. I got like my car, like everything's super convenient. There's good, like, I know where I can get good food. I know where I can, you know, uh, you know, have my very happy day. There's the, the gym. And so sometimes it's, it's kind of a good reminder of like, you know, do I like, I want to travel and see the world, of course, and all that. But like, I also, it's also kind of important and maybe a refresher to remind you of how good, how good being back home is. There's no right answer to this game of life and game of financial freedom, only different, only different, um, paths and avenues to explore. And, and, uh, I think everyone should go and try this, this nomadic lifestyle at some point if they can in their lives. And maybe, maybe you'll love it. Maybe it'll make you appreciate what you have back home. You know, Living in Colorado, it really is hard to be like, oh, maybe I want to go see different things. We've got so much right here. <laughs> you are right. You know, I, I drive my kids to school every morning and my route takes me uh, west, which is where the mountains are. So every morning I see that big, beautiful expanse of the front range. I'm like, you know. Me too with daycare. Yeah. Like, yeah. This doesn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> this view is really nice. Ah, what a conclusion to draw from today's episode. So yeah. uh, there you have it, guys. <laughs> oh, well, we did have one more tip, a uh, parting thought here. We talked with Matt and the uh, aftermath of the recording. And one thing we didn't talk about was insurance. And he says he always gets travel insurance uh, and three sites uh, that he recommended people check out for travel insurance are Safety Wing, Insure My Trip, and MedJet. Yes, because you never know what's going to happen. Having travel insurance is a really great way to make yourself whole should something unsavory. And and that covers, you know, things like robbery, theft, uh, uh, medical expenses and some other things as well. So something to look into um, as part of your planning process, um, wherever you decide to travel to. All right, Scott, on that parting note, should we get out of here? Let's do it. That wraps up this travel episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. He is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, hit the road, happy toad. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. And if you're looking for even more money content, feel free to visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash biggerpocketsmoney. Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. 
reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month, four kitchens and bathrooms you can renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can afford? Which market and which deal is best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions, all to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devtha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. That's biggerpockets.com slash F-O-U-R. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.